Hey, everybody, and welcome to My Angular Story. This week, we have Will Buck. Hey, how's it going out there? Um, Now, you were on episode 57. We talked about starting up a local Angular meetup, which was kind of a fun and interesting topic. And we we typically don't get into the softer stuff. No, yeah. I mean, that was nice just to get in and say, hey, look, you know, if you're not a, a genius at Angular, you can still contribute by organizing meetups and stuff like that. Yeah, that's right. I, I think I reached out to you and asked uh, if that would be of, of interest. And yeah, I, I felt like that conversation went uh, really great, that there was um, some good things to share about that. And and yeah, you know, like I I was good at math and science stuff. But yeah, when, when you look, go out and look at some of the people contributing out there, it, it seems like all they, they live and breathe code and they're so smart and talented about it that it's, it can be intimidating to to even try and put your foot in there where, um, you know, social skills aren't always necessarily the strength of a programmer, but, uh, you know, we're, we're all mostly doing the same things and, and you know, are, are usually nice people. So yep. um, there's definitely ways to, to improve the community besides just pull requests. Yep. Well, the other thing that uh, I just want to mention before we get into these questions, too, is that you, you know, you were like, I was surprised that you called me to do this show because I'm not a name, so to speak, in Angular. And ultimately, I mean, I'm I'm doing this for two reasons. And one is, is that if you've been on the show, typically, at least some people know who you are. And so I want to show people that, hey, these guys are human, too, and they, they come into this the same way we do. And then I also eventually want to get to the point where I'm just interviewing normal Angular developers and getting their story out there. And just, you know, as a contrast, it's like, okay, look, you know, um, your story isn't all that different from Joe Developer down the road who's working for some small company uh, building line of business apps that are critical to them. So Exactly. Yeah. That, I mean, that was part of the, um, the reason for... Are you trying to figure out how to stay current with Ruby and Rails? I'm putting on a two-day online conference called Ruby Remote Conf. You can check it out at rubyremoteconf.com. Like I said, it's a two-day conference where you can come and listen to speakers and experts from all around the world talk to you about issues pertaining to Ruby and web development. We have an online Slack channel, a roundtable discussion on Zoom, and all of the talks are given over Google Hangouts, and all of the talks will be streamed to you live. Come check us out at rubyremoteconf.com. Business apps that are critical to them. So Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that was part of the, um, the reason for, for starting a meetup. And, and yeah, our, our previous conversation on um, the podcast, I don't know, close to two years ago, I think. Um, yeah, a year and I've, a half, two years. Yeah, I've... Like I've moved since then and gotten a new job since then. So it's definitely been a while. And, uh, and yeah, you know, that's, there's people have a lot more com- in common than uh, they might realize. And they're, they're definitely not alone, even though this could be uh, at times a lonely feeling profession. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I remember it getting particularly lonely when I was a consultant. Yeah. <laughs> well, hand raised here to that's me today. Yep. Working from home consulting, but uh 
you know, I got my daughter and my wife and my mm-hmm. dog around and yep. uh, this new neighborhood I've moved to actually is a lot of very friendly people. Yep. That's always helpful. Well, let's dig into these questions and uh, find out a little bit more about Will Buck. Yeah, sure thing. Fire away. So the first question is, uh, how were you introduced to programming or how did you come into programming? Well, um, I don't feel like I have that, you know, typical rock star uh, developer story with that. Um, I didn't. Yeah, really I have start. news for you. I'm finding out it's not that typical. We no, just don't think it is. Really not. We, we just have this myth that that's the way everybody um, gets into this stuff. That they're, you know, uh, starting botnets when they're eight or or making mods for Doom when they're ten or stuff mm-hmm. like that. But that wasn't me. I, I loved computers and I loved to play. Uh, video games, but I, I didn't really code seriously until um, high school, and even then, it was for class mostly. It wasn't something I was doing in my own spare time very much. Um, but uh, you know, I, I have memories of my grandfather, who was a software developer, and um, probably is the, the main inspiration uh, for me going into this field in a family full of doctors. My parents are both doctors and, <laughs> and my brother is graduating from med school here this week. And my sister's pre-med. So, uh, I'm the, I'm the black I, sheep in that sense. I, I can completely identify all of my family. I have, I have a brother that's a nurse. I guess my other black sheep brother's an accountant, but, uh, so yeah, my, my sister's <laughs> both majored in social work. Um, like all of my aunts and uncles are nurses. I swear. And then my dad and my other uncle are um, dentists. So, yeah, I'm the one that's not the medical professional besides the weirdo accountant. And it's funny that uh, most of my jobs to start out uh, coming out of college were all in healthcare, too. So I, I didn't fall that far from the tree. <laughs> nice. But, uh, but, yeah, I can have remem- memories uh, when I was very young on, you know, Windows 3.1 and uh, 95, my grandfather uh, showing me how to how to launch games from a DOS prompt and stuff like that. And it wasn't something I really understood what was going on. And I, I honestly wasn't that curious about it at the time. I just wanted to play SimCity and right. Mega, Man, Mega Man and stuff like that. Um, you know, I guess in, in some ways, um, early on, even, you know, in the 90s, growing up in the 90s, that uh, public schools were doing some some bits of programming here and there. I, I can remember doing uh, logo programming, making the little turtle yep. make lines and stuff. Yeah, you know, right. we did that too. Someone some classify that as programming, I suppose. Um, but yeah, really my first real coding stuff uh, happened in a intro to CS class in high school, my senior year that I, I frankly, I took it because it counted as a business credit. And I had to have one business class, and I was <laughs> nice. still not interested in taking macroeconomics or microeconomics. That I was like, I'll, I'll take the computer class. You know, I, I like computers. That'll be all right. It'll probably be pretty easy. And uh, I enjoyed it. You know, we didn't do a whole lot. It was very small. It's like C plus uh-huh. plus prompt for input type uh, apps and. Uh, making you know, you know web pages to talk about how you build a computer or uh, something that you like. So like I did mine on Mega Man. <clears throat> Sweet. Um, I want to see right. that. Oh, I, I was thinking about it uh, prepping for the show. I was thinking like, I wonder if that's still around somewhere. Where did that, where did we even host that? It was, I, I think it was on a school intranet. So uh, I doubt very much that I can 
get a hold of it at this point. But yeah, it was pretty cool. I, I made some like uh, click maps that uh, you know mm-hmm. front end developer today would look at and be very aghast by <laughs> to not want to touch <laughs> that code with a ten foot pole. But I really got serious about it in college. I actually I, I went into college at uh, UW Madison thinking I wanted to do Japanese translation. I was really into East Asian culture and um, had the privilege of having a high school that offered Japanese as a language class. Oh, nice! Um, so my my very first semester of freshman year, I um, I took this. Uh, special interest group type thing that they had at Madison um, where you, you took like a block of classes with several people. Um, mm-hmm. So it was a, a Japanese language class, a uh, Japanese history class and a uh, anime film class. Oh, wow. That sounds like fun. It was super cool. It was, I, I took a lot of freaking cool classes in, in college and um, I'm very thankful for that. Um, but I had room for one more class in my schedule and I said, well, I, I better take the intro to CS class because, you know, uh, in case this Japanese thing doesn't go through, I'm going to need a real job and like, computers, are, <laughs> computers are real job stuff. So I'll take that class. So I did and I ended up really liking it. It was, you know, it was very challenging. I still didn't really totally understand what was going on. The intro class at the time there, I don't know if it's still the case, but they did Java and, mm-hmm. um, you know, you programmed on a Windows machine inside of Eclipse. So I didn't really understand how Java ran exactly. I just knew that I could type code somewhere and that things would happen based on what the instructions of the, the course were. So like for the very last, uh, very last assignment in that class, I think we made like a, a Frogger type game, except uh, the frog was Bucky Badger. And, you know, yeah, there were, there were provided classes that, uh, that the instructor had to set up the project for doing graphics and stuff. And they were really just having you write logic right. uh, portions of that code. And yeah, at that time I was like, I, I have no idea what's going on in this other code that people are putting there. So yeah, it was, it was an uphill battle, even though I was, uh, I was inclined to computers. I stuck with it and ended up double majoring in East Asian studies as well as computer science there. So I had, I had the soft side and the and the technical side leaving college. And ever since my first job, I've really been happy with this as a career choice. You know, there's always interesting things that you can work in a variety of fields and um, it changes a lot. So you 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 know you kind of become a lifelong learner. And yeah. I always I, I didn't love school, but I didn't hate it either, you know, like it was not always challenging. So that part wasn't fun and, and homework wasn't fun, but, uh, but learning was always fun. So that part of um, this, you know, appeals to me so much more than, than other careers where you kind of are expected to know a thing and then just do that thing all the time. Right. So, so essentially um, if I can just recap a little bit, you got exposed to programming uh, maybe as a younger person doing the logo programming, but then um, you you really kind of got introduced to it in high school doing the web development stuff. And then in college, you took a CS class and that, that kind of did you in, huh? That's right. Yep. <clears throat> Very cool. And so uh, from there, how, how did you get from, um, you know, 
one CS class guy to Angular guy? Uh, well, at uh, the various jobs I held to start out after college, um, like I mentioned, I worked in healthcare. So I worked for a small startup in the Minneapolis area um, doing health and wellness incentives. Um, and we did jQuery for that and a, um, a backend server written uh, in Grails, which is a... a Rails. A Rails on the JVM. Yeah, Groovy Rails. Yep. Um, it's really fun technology. I guess I didn't mention at the start of the show that's uh, where I work now is on the, the Grails team uh, at Object Computing. Uh, it's a consulting firm based out of St. Louis um, where our whole team works remotely. We have um, developers in Spain, Texas, Ohio, all over the place, um, as well as here in Minneapolis. And I have a funny um, story if you want to hear it. Grails is the reason I'm doing what I'm doing. Oh, and, is that right? Yeah. And, and the reason is, is because, uh, so way back in the day, a friend of mine, Eric Berry started a website called teach me to code. Okay.com. And, um, I did a couple of videos for him on Ruby on rails and he got way into grails. And then he figured out that the people who were watching teach me to code still wanted rails content. And so he turned it over to me and that's how I got into this whole media publishing thing. Oh, that's cool. So, so yeah, it's not cause I wrote grails. It was cause somebody else <laughs> made that transition. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yep. But yeah, so, well, Gra- grails is a cool system and a lot of companies are invested in a, a Java or JVM uh, setup. And so it makes a lot of sense for them to adopt something like grails and then get the, productivity boosts and things like that you get from an opinionated system like uh, grails or rails. Oh, absolutely. I don't, I don't want this to turn into the grails evangelism hour, yeah. but I, I will gladly evangelize for it. There's a reason I joined this, this uh-huh. team. I, I had a nice job um, and uh, was recruited to join this team because I knew grails and I knew angular. Right. Um, so did and, you learn angular because it worked nicely with grails or how, how did that kind of all come together? Uh, sort of, yeah, it, it has a similar type of philosophy, right? I think if you came to Angular 1 from a variety of MVC architectures, you, you, you kind of got it right away. And that was, it was a departure from things on the front end that had come before it in a lot of ways, you know, where, um, you, you were prescribed kind of what to do and there was a lot of setup done for you and, um, it wasn't that complicated to use, right? Like, yes, there's a, a very steep learning curve and um, there are a, a lot of Angular-isms to learn uh, in the Angular 1 uh, ecosystem that existed early on. But uh, the basic principles of I have a controller and I have a view and I have right. a model and you know I edit my model and the controller updates my view and, and it was fairly light in that controller layer um, to make that happen. So, uh, I came to Angular coming off of, uh, backbone work at, uh, the second job I worked at, which was called, uh, it was a company called Virtuel. Uh-huh. Uh, that might've been where I was working when we last spoke, actually. Um, it's an online doctor's office, really, really cool product that they're mm-hmm. doing. Um, 
I, do, I miss those guys sometimes because that was that was a really cool thing to work on. I enjoyed working on that a lot. Um, but we had uh, done some work in Backbone for the mobile application um, because that was you know about the nicest thing we could use to do uh, fancy JavaScript stuff in twenty twelve or thirteen, whenever that was. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a decision to make about what we were going to use for our uh, next big project, which was a, a rewrite of the um, the system the nurse practitioners use on the back end there. So um, how that, that business basically works is that um, people fill out a questionnaire on the public-facing website, and nurse practitioners then look at it through, um, you know, kind of a, an in-house custom uh, electronic medical record system. And the original build-out of that um, record system worked for what they needed, but it was very much a, a fast-to-market you know, kind of prototype. It was back house, so it didn't need to look very nice. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, that, that wasn't a great experience for the uh, nurse practitioners that were using it every day a lot. So, um, you know, there was a good effort inside the company to say, we want to maximize the productivity and, and happiness of these practitioners so that they're doing the best job they can medically all the time. Um, right. So, so that's, that was what the project was. And uh, we looked at the options available. Ember, uh, React wasn't around yet, uh, Backbone, and... Um, Angular and said, you know, this Angular thing looks pretty cool. It gels well with how we've been writing Grails code, uh-huh. and and we think it's it's a solid bet with uh, Google behind the wheel. So that's that's kind of how I came to doing Angular, and I did a lot of work on that um, on that system that had you know a, a list of patients coming in, and then a a workflow for how to treat those patients to recognize based on the answers they gave, what kind of um, treatment they might need, you know, have a human person read that to make real decisions about it just based on suggestions that a machine can handle medically and uh, go from there. And from there, I've, I've loved working with it. You know, once, once you get over that initial learning hurdle and it, you know, as I understand, it's only gotten better with Angular 2. I have not used Angular 2 a whole lot, truth be told. Um, and you probably never will because it's Angular 4 now. Right. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, the little bit I have used, it, I mean, it's gotten easier to learn from what I can tell. I don't obviously have, do not have fresh eyes anymore. But uh, the yeah. experience I get from others, um, you know, leading their meetup is that... Um, it's only getting better and easier to use. Yep. Yeah, it is. It's it's gotten easier and it's they've kind of solved some of the boilerplate that you had to write every time that didn't really help you define what you needed to define. So and it you know the the push uh to standardize around um web conventions has been what I think really great too, you know, like that originally there were some very esoteric things that kind of put other uh, JavaScript developers, like pure JavaScript developers, off a little bit to uh-huh. be like, why do I have to do this special Angular thing when I could just do this JavaScript? And it's like, well, right. JavaScript's a little bit longer to write and people 
don't really know how to use JavaScript that well, usually. So we provided something. And that was a really nifty idea for people like me who didn't know JavaScript that well using it. And just you learn a thing and then you use it. Yeah. Um, but it seems like, yeah, they've only gotten better around um, trying to standardize and kind of, yeah, remove some of the the fancy language uh, to, to make things easier to understand. And I've, you know, listening to your podcast, it's very clear that, that that effort continues strong today. Yep. So uh, I'm, I'm kind of wondering, you, you mentioned college, you said the CS class. So did you actually major in Japanese or... Did you major in computer science, or how, how did that wind up working? I, I graduated with a double major in uh, computer science and East Asian studies. So I had set out originally to do uh, Japanese as my second major. Uh-huh. The program at uh, UW-Madison is extremely rigorous uh, for the Japanese language. And I, I trailed off that a little bit because, uh, as it turns out, I'm really bad with memorization and vocabulary. So the syntax stuff about Japanese, I could handle. And um, that part wasn't too hard. But every time I had to take a kanji quiz to write all the picture symbols uh-huh. that come from Chinese, I, I would mix it up. And you know, remembering particular words for particular nouns or verbs or things, I, I would often forget. Right. So um, I didn't do that great. That was by far the biggest blemish on my GPA. Uh, graduating college was two BCs I had in third and fourth semester Japanese. Mm-hmm. Um, so I talked to my advisor, who was my um, anime teacher that very first uh, semester. He's the, the uh, advisor for the Japanese department. And I said, you know, I want to push forward with this, but uh, I know that the the grade requirements for the language major are pretty high. You have to maintain a B average. And right. I was starting to slip away from that a little bit. And, and he recommended, you know, the four semesters you've taken will not go to waste in an East Asian studies um, mm. major. And the culture stuff was more interesting to me anyway. So, you know, that meant I ended up taking Chinese and Korean detective fiction classes and Buddhism classes and um, took one on Japanese poetry and stuff like that. And it was, it was really fun. I, I loved all those classes and I, I knew that there was a very slim likelihood uh, that, that that would be um, something of a career path for me that, you know, there's, there are not a lot of jobs outside of academia in those fields. Um, but I just liked it. Yeah. And I, I already had, you know, a really solid base of the major done. So I said, I'm just going to keep taking these classes. You know, it's fun. Yeah. And I liked sense. all the professors too. They were all very cool people. Awesome. Well, um, let's, let's slip back over to angular here real quick. Um, what, what have you done or have you been doing in the Angular community these days? Uh, well, lately it's honestly not much. Um, you know, I've, as a contractor, uh, consultant here for OCI, I've been, I was originally brought in to do a lot of work with Angular. And Mm -hmm. so, um, my first six months or so, that was primarily what I was doing for my client. Um, but they've since then had, um, human resources needs much higher on their uh, back-end system stuff. And since I had a lot of experience with Rails, um, I did a lot of work 
for their um, Grails app, and also started doing some um, Kotlin microservices work that uh, they wanted me to do. So my my uh, contributions to Angular lately have been quite light. Um, mm-hmm. Previously, I've done a lot of conference talks. Um, I did a couple for GreatConf US, which is a Grails conference, um, Ruby conference. Midwest JS, which is a, a JavaScript conference here in town uh, in Minneapolis, that uh, is very is well attended nas- uh, by uh, people nationally and has great great content. They do a great job with that. Uh, I did one just this past uh, winter down in Fort Lauderdale at G three Summit on um, some of the work the team's doing on uh, Angular and Rails, Angular two specifically. Um, that I've helped out with a little bit, but uh, most of the credit there goes to the um, core developers on the team, um, Graham Rocher, uh, James Cleek, and our team lead, Jeff Scott Brown, who, yeah, they've, they've all been working with Grails many, many years and uh, do a great job with really pushing the core forward. But, uh, you know, my I, I guess if I have a claim to fame, um, especially locally, most of the people around here know me for running the meetup, Angular Men, which is uh, something we started uh, at Virtual to uh, get people talking about Angular here in uh, Minneapolis and Paul area. Nice. Cool. So what are you working on now then? You mentioned uh, Kotlin uh, microservices, which Kotlin, yeah. Kotlin is such an interesting thing too. Um, it's For those that don't know, it's a it's a language. Now, I heard about it as far as like writing mobile apps. Um, okay. But yeah, we did an episode on it on iFreaks before I retired from the show. Oh. And uh, I think we had somebody from the Minneapolis area come and talk to us about it. So it's quite possible. The, the JVM is very alive and well around here. There's a lot of people using Groovy, and um, a lot of people using Groovy are interested in Kotlin for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a it's a JVM based language that's being developed by um, JetBrains, the company that makes WebStorm and IntelliJ and ReSharper and all yeah. kinds of um, IDE products. Uh, very cool people. I had the uh, great pleasure of having drinks with uh, Daniil uh, from their team at G three Summit. He was a very interesting guy. It was cool to talk to. He's from Russia. And uh, yeah, I just had a lot of interesting stories and a lot of interesting questions to ask us about American culture. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, Kotlin is interesting. It's it's largely like Java. Um, it's a little bit more functional, and um, it has some some nice to have features, but remains pretty strict, like Java is. Uh-huh. Um, I can I can rant for a while about it uh, because uh, I'm I, I have very mixed feelings about it. I've I've come from a place uh, you know five or six years of doing a lot of Groovy and JavaScript work, which are pretty permissive languages. They don't really uh, yell at you too much from the compiler side. You know, you do get some runtime errors if you're not careful. Um, but uh, they don't they don't try to um, keep you from yourself too bad you know like like get their powerful tools that uh, if you're not careful with a powerful tool you can 
to cause some serious damage. <laughs> you, can, you can blow your foot off with a shotgun. Yep. It's powerful. But you can also do really cool things with them. So, um, so yeah, Colin, you know, it's, uh, that was my client's prerogative. Uh, and they uh, were doing cool things with it, for sure. Um, really, just today, I'm working on a uh, AWS Lambda function to um, to do some kind of data transfer uh, processes with Kotlin. And there are some nice things that uh, the compiler will catch. The uh, nullability is a big thing for Kotlin, so um, types have subtypes of not being nullable or non-nullable, essentially. Uh You instruct the compiler to say, I will accept null in this string, or I will not accept null in this string. The compiler will check for you to make sure, like, are you allowing null to get into this non-nullable string? Well, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to let you do that. I'm going to say no. That gets into a little bit of trouble um, when you're trying to handle things like uh, RESTful services. You know, if you're consuming JSON APIs, and you don't really have guarantees around what will or won't be there, uh, especially as you're creating a particular data type. Um, you know, the, there's a desire for a default constructor that says, "I don't, uh, I don't know what I'm getting, so I'll just start with <laughs> null for everything." Now, yeah. Well, now I've just lost the power of the language because I had to mark everything null. There, are, there are some tools out there that will help with stuff like that that I've become more familiar with as a worked with it for a, like a year here. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, it can sometimes be kind of getting in your way, even though you know it shouldn't be. And that's where I miss a lot of the things about Groovy. Yep. That makes sense. This episode is sponsored by Newbie Remote Conf. Newbie Remote Conf is a two-day completely virtual conference hosted by none other than Charles Max Wood. If travel expenses are an issue or you just can't afford to be away from home for two days, then join us. It's virtual. The conference is focused on people who want to keep up with the latest in programming or just get a leg up in getting a job and getting into the programming community. We'll have speakers from all over the programming community to help you stay current and a Slack room where you can connect with speakers and other attendees in real time. We'll also have a live roundtable video chat for attendees and speakers, plus we'll provide the talk recordings to you within days of the conference. Early bird tickets are available for $150 until May 12th, and the call for proposals is open until April 28th. So come join us at newbieremoteconf.com. A lot of the things about Ruby. Yep. That makes sense. Um, Now, the last segment of the show is picks. Uh, Do you have some picks for us? I do. I have lots of picks because I like things. Um, but I, I limited myself to a couple here for the show. Um, I wanted to pick the sport of dodgeball in general. So uh, the other thing I like to talk about when I uh, go out into the community is that I am a very avid dodgeball player. Not nearly as much so as uh, some of the folks I know around here that live and breathe it. But I like to play pretty regularly. And uh, there's a good community for that in Minneapolis. And... Um, I've competed in some cool tournaments. I was actually on ESPN three last fall um, for a oh, wow. tournament. You're famous. <laughs> I'm, I'm famous to the people I shared the link to because it was kind of buried on their site. 
that wasn't out for that long. But the the ultimate dodgeball championship uh, is a a trampoline dodgeball tournament uh, that's been running every year for the past five years here or so, and I've had the great pleasure of participating in three of those nationals, which were super fun. So you can check them out. Um, just search Facebook for Ultimate Dodgeball. We'll, I have uh, links we can include in the show notes. And uh, another uh, organization called Elite Dodgeball. They do um, lots of tournaments around uh, around the country. And uh, their, their rule set is actually great. So if you're interested in starting dodgeball in your area, I'd greatly recommend that you check out the Elite Dodgeball website's rules page because um, that's one of the things that can really hurt the sport is people like to argue a lot about, I got hit, no, you didn't. And um, <laughs> that, can, that can really ruin the fun for people. So the rules uh, that Elite has in place are very clear and um, mitigate that as best as you can mitigate that. You know, personalities will always um, prevail if someone's going to be a jerk. Yep. But um, I also wanted to pick a, a board game called Codex Card Time Strategy. Uh, it's by a designer named David Serlin, who um, I was introduced to several years ago uh, through a, a book he wrote called Playing to Win. It's a book about um, Street Fighter II, uh, partially, but it's, it's about... Um, what should be considered fair and unfair in a game and um, how, how you play to win versus playing to have fun and some of those sorts of things. And so this card game called Codex um, is very similar to Magic the Gathering, which I played a lot of growing up. Um, we would play that at lunch in mm-hmm. middle school quite a bit. And uh, what's nice about it, though, is unlike Magic, there's, there's no cards to buy in the future. It's, it's a finished game. So there are cards. There's like 700 of them or so. And the rules about how you make a deck are extremely balanced such that um, you can come up with a lot of crazy deck combinations. And um, they always have something they can do. So you can never really sit down at the table for a match and have lost already just because of what deck you chose. Right. would be a problem with uh, magic. So that's really cool. Um, there's a community of people that play it online because uh, while there isn't like an online game client for it, the uh, structure of the game is turn-based and completely asynchronous. So I can I can post a turn like I would mail someone my my move in chess, and someone can then mail back their move and just kind of do that you know here and there uh, throughout the day, which is pretty awesome. And my last pick was just going to be uh, Grails. That if people have not checked out Groovy or Grails um, specifically, it's a really great uh, tool for for building backends. If you're you know if you're not um, if you're stuck on the JVM or just know your, the JVM better in your ops department or um, you know Node has its pros and cons and I think it's an excellent choice for a lot of JavaScript projects um, a lot because it's uh, it's the same language so you have a lot of uh, knowledge share and code share you can potentially do there um, but if, if you're not using Node um, the JVM has a lot of great tools to uh, write backends and Grails is one of them it's, uh, it's really quite good 
I don't just say that because I'm on the team. I, I came <laughs> to the team because I already knew, uh, felt that way. And it's, it's only getting better. Nice. Um, I've got a couple of picks that I'm going to throw out there. Uh, the first one is, uh, it's actually a video course that a friend of mine put out. Um, now, this is totally not programming related, but uh, definitely a lot of fun. Um, so, my friends Kyle Schultz and Vincent Puglisi put out a course that's sports photography course for parents. And it just basically walks you through how to get the, you know, get that shot right of your kid playing sports. So, you know, baseball, hockey, whatever. Um and uh, it's it, it's pretty awesome. So, uh, yeah, it's it looks like there are uh, seven modules to it. Each of them have a number of lessons to them. And uh, anyway, um, Vincent, who's so so Kyle has a, a photography school, um, Schultz Photo School, but uh, he teamed up with Vincent and Vincent's actually a sports photographer. And so uh, if you go to the the page that we list in the show notes um it'll show you some of the shots that he's got and he's got like a picture of a kid pitching you know little league and then he's got like professional athletes you know pictures of them so anyway um cool stuff so if you're into photography and you want to learn how to do sports photography uh definitely check this one out um the other pick that i have and this is something that um i'm i'm just starting to get into now is YouTube. Um, so I've been working on pulling together some videos and um, I'm trying to release on a regular basis, uh, but it's a hard habit to get into. Um, anyway, I'm putting together a show called uh, Angular Rants and it's just going to be me talking about, you know, for five minutes about something that I saw related to Angular or programming or careers or whatever, right? So um, if you're interested in just my opinion about some of this stuff, um, you know, or you want to see what I'm, you know, reading and learning about, uh, in the world of Angular, then by all means, um, check that out. It's going to be on YouTube. Um, it'll also be up on iTunes. You can just subscribe and either watch the video or listen to me, uh, talk. But anyway, um, so yeah, that's, that's awesome. Chuck. That's something that I'm putting together and, uh, yeah, we'll see how that all goes. Um, anything else if people want to follow you or see what you're working on these days, you know, how, how do they find Will Buck on the internet? Oh yeah, sure. Um, I'm, uh, W Buck soft on Twitter. I got to Twitter late in the game and was bad at picking names. Um, and unfortunately I have a reasonably common name. Uh, so W Buck S O F T on Twitter. Uh, that's, that's where I do the most social media things. Although I, I don't do that much in general. Um, you can check out angular man. We're on meetup.com slash AngularMN. We also have a uh, Twitter account at AngularMN. Uh, and we, we usually post videos of all of our uh, monthly meetups. We meet once a month uh, at the virtual offices in St. Paul, Minnesota on the first Wednesday of every month. Um, I unfortunately don't make it out there uh, as often as I used to. I've handed over the lead organization uh, duties to uh, a developer at Virtual. But I'm still pretty actively involved, and I still try to make it to at least half of the meetups a year. All right, cool. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up, and we will catch everyone next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more. 